So I am excited to be launching Sunday morning services. Like I've said before, uh, God started putting it in my heart when I did a tag team series with Gateway, and I began worshiping there on a Sunday morning. And there was just something about starting the day off. Uh, I thought Saturdays were going to fly. I'm like, hey, we're in a community of young families. We get to sleep in on Sundays. But let's face it, I quickly realized as a parent that there's no sleeping in when you're a young family. Like, that's when you're an empty nester. <laughs> but what's been interesting is when we were at the fair last week for the community service, I was getting the questions from some people saying, why are you switching to Sundays? Isn't Saturday your thing? I'm like, yeah. But then, it's funny because when we were meeting on Saturdays, I would always get the question, well, why don't you meet on Sundays? Because isn't that kind of the Christian thing? And I'm like, well, yeah. But what I love about all of these questions is that they show me that we all understand that there are things going on beyond the things that we can see. Just things. And it ties in perfectly with this series, Live Like It matters. Because we can all read that statement and to some degree understand it. Live like it matters. Some of you might feel like, okay, I need to take my faith more seriously, or I need to, I need to be more present with my spouse and my kids. Or perhaps it's maybe spurring you on to make every moment count. Go big or go home. Leave nothing on the table. Live with no regrets. And while it can mean all of these things, for our intents and purposes this morning, I want to talk about it. What is it? I was inspired to create this series after reading Pastor Craig Rochelle's book, Lead Like It Matters. It just came out this summer, and it was just challenging me as a pastor to lead like it matters, but then I thought, man, we could all use this message to live like it matters. So I'm also adapting one of his messages this morning that he preached at his church, Life Church that he titled the same thing kind of as a springboard off of his book. So what is it? Have you ever had someone say to you, I don't know what it is about you, but there's something different. Or perhaps, I don't know how you do it because I wouldn't be able to do it. And we use this word it to kind of fill in the blanks for things that we can't quite articulate. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to ask you a question, but I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want to single anyone out. It's just to, to reflect on. But I wonder how many of you would say that there's a time in your life that you were closer to God than you are now. I wonder how many of you have had seasons in your life when God seemed really near all the time. You'd read his word, and it was like he was just speaking directly to you. You'd come to church, and we'd have the same verse on the, on the screen, and you're like, how'd that happen? You'd pray, and you'd see things just happening right away. You couldn't wait for the weekend to gather again for worship, to bring your friends to, because God was just so amazing, and he was alive and active in your life, and he was all around. You just couldn't not see his presence. But then... Some time went by, and, and you still believe in God, but it's just not the same. You still show up for church, or you watch online, at least every now and then, but you've lost some of the passion. You still have the light, but perhaps the light has dimmed a little, or perhaps 
just the underbelly of humanity, which has reared its ugly head, especially within churches lately, has just jaded you. And as you've pulled away from places and people who've hurt you or have hurt other people, you've become more distant from God too. I just wonder how many can relate to that. You once had it, but then you lost it. I want to show you a very emotional text, and the psalmist penned these words in Psalm 42, verses 4 to 5, and maybe you can relate to what he said. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. You can almost feel the heaviness. I used to be so close to God. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. But why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? You can feel it. And maybe some of you can relate. And perhaps you haven't even stopped to think about it, but now that you do, you're like, yeah, I, I was close to him then, but I'm not so close to him now. You feel like you had it, but then you lost it. Well, I want to help you get it back. That's what this whole series is about. And if you don't really know what I'm talking about, you say like, I've never had it. Well, I want to help you get it. So I'm calling this message, It Will Change Your Life. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that in your presence and by the power of your word, you would draw us close to know you intimately and to serve you faithfully. Help us to get it, to know it, to experience it, to, to share it, to give it freely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to do me a favor here. I want you to look to the person next to you, and I want you to say, if you don't have it, it's time to get it. <laughs> and now I want you to turn to the, your second choice, the person you didn't choose the first time, and say, you need to get it too. <laughs> so now let's talk about it. There have been several seasons in my life where I've experienced it. I remember asking Jesus into my heart at the age of five, and I thought I could walk through walls, and I tried. Um, I remember God moving in me and among my friends at various youth retreats, and I would come back on fire and passionate for God. And during one specific winter retreat, when I was 18, I came back and I took the next step of following Jesus in the waters of baptism. And I remember going off to Bible college for a year, and I bought a new study Bible with my youth pastor, and I was so excited to figure it all out. I'm like, oh man, after this year, I'm going to know it all. Whew. <laughs> and then after having a crisis of faith and walking away from it all, I'll never forget the time that Jesus opened my eyes to the way of life that I was living, and he simply invited me to follow him. And what I love about that moment is that it wasn't anything prefabricated, it wasn't planned out, it wasn't that my friends were experiencing it too, or that the worship music was building to a crescendo. It was just this moment of brokenness where I just met Jesus face to face, and I simply recognized my brokenness. I saw myself as I was, and then I saw Jesus for who he is, and I recognized my desperate need for him to be my Lord and Savior, for him to be my number one, and then when I got it, 
oh, I was on fire. I sold everything I had. That goes to another part of my testimony. I went back to school out in BC. I became a reader. Uh, I never liked reading growing up, and suddenly I'm 25 years old, and I'm like, I want to read, and I'm buying all these books. And, but this time, it wasn't to figure everything out. It was to actually deepen my relationship with Jesus, just to understand different perspectives and nuances and how it all fits together. And there was this song called Burn Us Up by Shane and Shane, and it was based on the, the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament. And these guys refused to bow down to the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And as they're being threatened to be thrown into the fiery furnace, they say, we are confident that God's going to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're going to worship him alone. We're not going to bow down. They had it. What's amazing is they were thrown into the fire and the three friends Suddenly, there were four in the fire. God's presence was with them. They, they actually had it with them. And I preached this message a couple of times, and in fact, God used it to speak to another friend of mine, John. And he had his own flooring business at the time, but he had always wrestled with, like, I felt God calling me into ministry, but I, I don't know. I, I'm so comfortable here. Well, God used that message to call him into ministry, and now he's the lead pastor of Johnson Heights Church in Surrey, BC. God was on the move, and I had a front row seat, and I'm witnessing all of this stuff, but then over time, things began to slow down and fade. I, I got into my rhythms, I got comfortable. But what if it didn't need to be like that? What if it didn't have to be seasons here and there of closeness with God? But what if we could actually live like it matters all the time? What would our lives look like, our, our homes, our churches, our communities, our world? Three months ago, I finished a series called Fruition, Bearing the Fruit of the Spirit. And I remember saying, church, I don't believe we're overflowing with the Spirit. And I was terrified to say that because I want everyone to like me and I want to, let's pretend like we're overflowing, like we know enough. But deep down, I truly felt it. And it's not that we didn't know Christ. It's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't with us. It's just that if someone new came through our doors, I didn't feel like they'd come in and be like, there is something different here. They have it. I can't quite articulate it, but they have it. And what I realize now is that's exactly what I was trying to say, is that we didn't have it. There have been seasons where we've seemed to have it, and there have been seasons where it seemed to have slipped away. And let's face it, it happens. I couldn't resist the pun if you... <laughs> but it's a finicky thing. So I want to help you get it into your life to make a big difference in your life and in the lives of those around you. So I'm going to talk to you from Revelation 3. And we actually have Bibles here, uh, NIV translations. So if you're using one of the, the Bibles here, it's page 1916. I'll also have it on the screen behind me. But Revelation 3, where Jesus spoke to different churches. But at the beginning, he speaks to a church in Sardis that thought they had it, but they didn't. So I'll give you a little background on Sardis. Sardis was the capital city in the Lydian Empire in Asia Minor, which is in western Turkey today. And the city was known for a lot of things. They had gold, uh, they had wool, they were known for their fruit. 
And I don't know exactly what kind of fruit they were known for. Let's go with mangoes, strawberries, bananas, fill in the blank. But here's the funny thing. The city was known for the fruit, but the church wasn't. And in Galatians 5, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he's saying that when you walk with Jesus and you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to have this love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control. I don't know if you've met many people who call themselves Christians but are not very loving or joyful. They're like, I'm a Christian for the glory of God, you jerk. Like, right? <laughs> and there's no peace and there's no joy and they, they might have a lot of activity going on but they don't have much spiritual fruit. They thought they had it but they didn't. They looked alive on the outside but Jesus said they're actually dead. So here's what Jesus says about these people. He says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. In other words, people might say, yeah, I think you're a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You're a member of a church. But he said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. You're not alive. You're dead. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. He said, remember, therefore, what you've received and heard, and hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, he says this with some urgency, I'll come like a thief, and you don't know at what time I'm going to come. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They'll walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're not. And that's where a lot of so-called Christians may be today, or even a lot of churches. Outwardly, there's a lot of spiritual busyness. We go to church, we do the Bible study thing, you serve somewhere, all that kind of stuff. And there's this outward spiritual busyness, but inwardly, there's this spiritual detachment. It's what we might call nominal Christianity. And it's everywhere in our culture where people call themselves Christian because, well, we're, we're not something else. We're Christian. And we have just enough Jesus to fake it, to play the part, to know the language, but not enough Jesus to where it actually changes our life. They think they have it, but they really don't. And this is what the people in Sardis look like. So Sardis was one of these ancient Greek cities, and many of them would have known, um, many of them would have what was known as an acropolis, a fortress on top of a mountain, surrounded by a river that kind of acted like a moat. So Sardis was almost completely impenetrable, except it wasn't. So here's a true story. In 549 BC, one of the guards was evidently up on top of the castle, on the side of the mountain, and he dropped his helmet. Like, ah, oh, my helmet. He decides... I'm going to climb over the castle, scale down the side of about a 1,700-foot mountain to the bottom, picks up his helmet, and scales back up. Mission accomplished. The only problem is that the enemies, the Midian soldiers, actually saw him do this and thought, oh, you actually can climb that wall. So in the middle of the night, a group of Midian soldiers scaled the wall and defeated the people in Sardis because they had become complacent. They had become comfortable. They'd let their guard down because they were asleep. You see, they had it, and then they lost it. 
They became complacent and they were distracted. They were spiritually asleep. And that's why Jesus says, wake up, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. And that's going to be my message to some of you today, that it's time to wake up, not just for our 9 a.m. service, spiritually, wake up. Maybe there's a time when you had it, like you were close to God, and you're just not that close today. And if you see me become passionate about this, it's because I've experienced this, I've lived this, I've seen it firsthand. I've had the undeniable, indescribable, unmissable passion for Jesus that if you were anywhere close to me, you'd know it, you'd see it, you'd hear it. It was actually effective most of the time, hopefully. But I, I had the grace of the one who made me new. I had it, I had it, I had it. And then one day I realized, well, wait, I don't, I don't have it anymore. And I didn't see it, be, it coming because it didn't happen just overnight. There was a slow drift away. I found that I was praying more publicly than I was privately. Sure, I still read the Bible, but it was only to preach to other people, not to feed myself. And the worst part is that I cared way more about other people than what I thought about what God thought about me. And it's embarrassing to admit, but I had become a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Jesus. And I'm sure some of you can relate. You had it and you lost it. You got distracted. You got busy. Your heart drifted. So what do you do when you realize you're not as close to God today as you once were? Well, I want to show you three things from our text in Revelation 3 that I promise will help you get it back. And if you've never had it, I believe it will help you get it. So what do we need to do? According to Scripture, three different things. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is remember it. Remember it, remember it, remember it. Revelation 3.3, Jesus says, Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Remember it. In the Greek language, remember is a present imperative form of the verb. And what that means is remember and keep remembering it. Don't forget it. It means remember it to mind. Bring it to mind over and over and over again. And what this, like the psalmist said in Psalm 77 that I started our service with, I recall all that you've done. I bring it back to mind, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They're constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. I remember. Maybe you need to remember who you were before you met Christ. You need to remember where you came from. Remember what he brought you out of. Remember when you felt lost and remember when you felt hopeless and remember when you felt desperate and when the depression was so heavy you never thought that you'd find a way out. But remember when you cried out to him and he answered your prayer and he showed up miraculously. Remember when you had no money in the bank and he provided for you. Remember when he healed your body and pulled you out of depression. Remember when he got you off drugs and brought you to be clean. Remember when he gave you a hope. When you had no hope, he gave you a purpose. When you had no purpose, he comforted you. When you felt all alone, you felt his presence. And you know that he heard the cries of your heart. Some of you need to remember it. Like, think back to it. And think back to when he answered your prayer. 
I think back to when he forgave my sin. He met me on a drunken night. I'd had about 18 jello shots or something by that point. And Jesus met me. And it, those things don't usually go together because we're like, oh, like Jesus is in church and the partying happens out there. I like to think that I was just building my testimony, but... But when I couldn't control myself, Jesus met me and he made me new. And I remember it. So think about who you were before and remember what he's done. Remember it. And then the second thing that you're going to do is finish it. Finish it. Don't just remember, but finish. The scripture says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now watch what Jesus says. He says, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. If you had it and you lost it, you wonder, where did it go? Maybe it's because you didn't do it when God told you to do it. There was something he led you to do. He prompted you to give it, and you didn't give it. He led you to confess it, and you didn't confess it. He prompted you to share it, and you didn't share it. He told you to trust him, and you continued to control him. He told you to ask for help, and you didn't ask for help. Finish the work. I remember sitting in church listening to a sermon when the pastor said, if your relationship with Christ is stagnant, go back to the last thing God asked you to do and do it. And suddenly my heart just started beating and I had this, it, it, like I could see youth ministry. And I still tried to run from it for a couple of years, but hey, God won. Here I am. Finish the work. Make the call. Apologize. Do what you need to do. Just do it. And take my word for it, it's not going to be easy. Sure, it's easy to give $5 here and there and support local projects from time to time, but what if God actually tells you to, you know what, sell your home, downsize, move into an area of the community that really needs the love of Jesus? Well, that's a lot harder than just giving five bucks. So we could say that, well, we have a $5 faith, but where do we draw the line? What has God called you to do? What is the unfinished business in your life? Finish it. Remember it and then finish it. And then hold it. Hold it tight, hold it close, hold it dear. Jesus says this, remember therefore what you've received and hold it fast and repent. Never take him for granted. Hold it fast. Hold it close. Do all that you can to not let go. We do this all the time. I'm just thinking of going to the ATM on a windy day. You're driving through and the wind's shooting through that tunnel and the 20s come out. You grab those 20s and you hold it because you're like, I don't want to lose these. I know of a story of a guy who was going to propose to his girlfriend and he uh, put the ring inside a helium balloon and when he walked out, he wasn't holding it so tightly. The reason I know that is my landlord was the insurance broker who's like, you don't have insurance for this. <laughs> Hold it close. Sardis, they looked like they had it, but they didn't. But guess what? There were a few that did have it, and there's always a remnant. There's always a few. And it's amazing what God can do with a few. Scripture says this, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They're faithful. They're serving me. They'll walk with me dressed in white. Why? For they're worthy. God can do a lot with a few. 
In fact, sometimes it takes just one. It takes just one young shepherd boy named David to stand down a giant. It takes one brave woman named Esther to stand strong when everyone else caves. It just takes one. And I don't know about your world or your story, but maybe you're the one. What if in your class, you're the one that shows up with it and gives it away? In your family, you may be the one. You may be the one who knows Jesus and shares Jesus with those you love the most. In your place of work, they may laugh. They may not understand, but you may be the one that continues to just love them and serve them and reach out with an irresistible love too good to deny. You may be the one. You may be the one in a long lineage of addicted family members. You may be the one to break free. You may be the first to graduate, the first to become debt-free, the first one to know the grace and love of Jesus and shares that grace of Jesus. So if you've had it and you've lost it, God wants you to get it back. Remember the psalmist at the very beginning who said, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I used to be close to God. I used to lead the trumpet process. I used to march for the house of God. Remember how it used to be? Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Well, the part of verse five I left out until now, he goes on to say, I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again. With everything in me, I will trust with everything in me. I will worship him. I will choose to praise him again. And Jesus said this, and he's saying it to some of you, wake up, wake up, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember it, finish it, and hold it. Because it will change your life. Let me close in prayer. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give it to our church, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would overflow with you, that true spiritual renewal would impact our cities and beyond. God, make us a light. Give it to your people. May it overflow. God, may we serve you faithfully, share Jesus generously, and see ourselves as the bride of Christ, the church, the light of this world. Give it to us. God, fill us with it. Help us to share it with others. And I invite everyone to just pray this prayer with me, either aloud or in the quietness of your heart. Just Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. All of it. Take it all. Save me from my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to do your will. Give it to me. Change my life. Fill me with your power to do your work on earth as it is in heaven. I give my life to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.